Welcome back to the show. Broken Lace is happy to have you here on today's podcast, Snake River Brewery, located in Jackson Hole. Snake River Brewery's Luke Bauer joins the podcast to talk about a hodgepodge of his favorite things, including craft beer, Wyoming hikes, and pack rafting. Luke has worked in the craft beer industry for 12 plus years, as well as several years in the outdoors industry, specifically within the American Alpine Club and recently the American Pack Rafting Association. Luke is a climber, paddler, hiker, and backpacker, among other things, and he's definitely a friend of the show. As you'll hear in the podcast, he's more than capable of serving as the Wyoming correspondent as he shares places, including Yellowstone and Tetons, but also beyond. As you know, there's the winds, uh, among other places, and one secret hike that Luke shares on the show. So again, glad to have you here. Let's get into our conversation with Luke. Hey, hey, we have Luke on the line calling in from beautiful Wyoming. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot, Riley. Luke and I are friends uh, with our significant others, being great friends from their time. And Luke said, I've been listening to the podcast. would love to hop on. So so just great to have you to chat a little bit hiking, a little craft beer, and, and a little bit of pack rafting. Yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, obviously, living here in Jackson Hole, um, we have some pretty pretty ample hiking opportunities um, all over the state, but certainly centered here around the Tetons and Yellowstone. But um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few other things we can chat about. So... I'm uh, definitely I'm to chat with you. Yes, and normally we we end our podcast with trails and ales, and we'll we'll do that. No worries on that front. But your career has been a a fair representation of trails and ales. You've been in the beer industry for twelve plus years, but you've also had you know four or five years of experience in the outdoors industry, which is perfect for that trails and ales segment. So what kind of what makes those two go together for you? What are kind of the similarities you've experienced and I guess, like, just why do they pair so well? Well, you know, I think in both cases, um, and just to be specific, I'm in, you know, a fairly small craft beer world. Um, right. You know, the, the marketing distinctions between how that's sold to people and, you know, how we run our businesses and how we present everything is, is markedly different than, you know, some of the larger uh, domestic breweries. But uh, I think that's where the intersection comes in with the outdoor industry. I mean, um, a lot of the marketing comes through a notion of do it yourself, um, you know, figure it out, understand how to problem solve on the fly. And then probably most importantly, a uh, community, you know, like your local brew pub or your local tap room or whatever is often a space for neighborhood or community engagement um, in the same way that, you know, people want to come together in these, these relatively niche sports like hiking or backpacking or climbing or whatever. Um, and it's easy to kind of intersect there where the notion of community already exists in your brew pub. So why not go there after a hike? I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought about it in that front. And, and I'm assuming in your position as a sales director for for one of those local breweries, Snake River Brewery in Jackson Hole, you're probably thinking about that or, or reflecting on how to position the brewery there in town with with the outdoor space. Am I, am I putting words in your mouth? Not really. Um you know, we're conveniently located and that this should not be interpreted as a plug for my brewery, though I certainly right. like yeah. brewery. But um, <laughs> we happen to be conveniently located um, 
just a few blocks from the base of Snow King, uh, which is one of the two resorts here in town. Um, so during the summer months, um, if someone's going mountain biking on the trail section there or hiking around and, you know, some of the extensive trail systems that kind of branch off the mountain, uh, it's the nat- most natural thing in the world to come to the group pub afterward. So we certainly want to be uh, supportive of that. You know, and in our case, like we get quite a few hikers and mountain bikers in particular in the summer. Um, you know, hikers are pretty easy to support as long as you've got a place for them to be. Um, but beyond that, you know, we also support our mountain biking community and we have community tool sets and lots of bike racks and stuff like that. So now th- I love this because when I was in college, we talked about sense of place a lot and sense of place, obviously being really tied to your geography, being t- tied to the terrain. But if you think about what other people are possessive about and it's their local watering hole, right? It's, it's the local hike or the state park that you frequent. And that brewery usually ties in because in smaller towns, there might be only one or two breweries. So that ties into that sense of place. Well, not only that, but it provides another um, another exploratory thing. And I think this is the other piece and where the outdoor and the craft beer uh, tend to intersect. At this point, there's almost, a th- uh, I want to say 8,000 craft breweries in the United States. Um, yeah, there's just a lot more now to explore. And just as an example, um, if I go visit a friend in another state and we go, whether it be hiking or an incident that I'm thinking of right now is a a canoe trip that I took in the Verde uh, down in Arizona a couple years ago, Um, you know, after paddling for, you know, three quarters of the day, and then we had to hike the thing out. um, Our very very first thought, of course, was like, well, let's have a beer. But then our second thought was, well, let's have a beer we haven't had before. Right. And so it just extends, you know, it extends the adventure a little bit. Well, and this is a good segue into my next line of questions, being that you've been in the craft beer industry, you've you've traveled and lived in a variety of just wonderful outdoor spaces and craft beer locations. We've already talked a little bit about Jackson Hole, but you've been in Denver, Austin, Juneau, Madison, just to name a, a bunch of them. Like, how do you how do you see this cultural intersection of craft beer and the outdoors differently or the same across all all the cities you've been in but all the cities you've traveled to i mean the 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 core you know community and or adventure extending the adventure however you want to view that um i think is the same um you know those core marketing ideas and those core like actual ideas that people have about their sense of place or their identity or their eco psychology or however you want to view that um those exist no matter what but certainly the uh, we use Juneau, Alaska as an example. Um, you know, it rains 300 days a year there. Um, so <laughs> yeah. you might you might convince yourself to go for a hike, but um, you know, your willingness after that to immediately like head to a bar, I think, changes pretty substantially when compared to Denver, Colorado, where basically year round it's sunny and 60 degrees. Sure, you know, like um, those certainly play a part in how willing people are to uh, you know to hunker down in a space or to like just really continue the enjoyment of an outdoor space. Um, and so I think that geography changes those interactions some, but, uh, you know, you're much more likely in Madison, I think to have gone on a, a longer road bike than maybe like a real long challenging hike, gotcha. you know, the job more set up for that. I love, I love the two themes, adventure and sense of place. I'm kind of locking that in my mind as I think through this a little bit more. You're currently in Wyoming. And the podcast has an open spot, you know, as, as the Wyoming correspondent. 
and we hikers know this, you know, this state is, is home to the Tetons. It's home to Yellowstone. And those who are more advanced in hiking know that it's home to the winds. But like, what other areas should we be considering or paying attention to Wyoming? Tell us, tell us a little bit about some of your favorite Wyoming hiking experiences or outdoor experiences. Well, I did. Um, I got to put in a plug for my alma mater, the National Outdoor Leadership School. There you here. go. Um, they're based in Lander, Wyoming, which is more or less in the center of the state um, at the on the eastern side of the Wind River Range. And so I was lucky enough, you know, 18 years ago to be able to do a 28 day backpacking trip. To the winds. Um, right. Which is once in a lifetime level. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Um, but. You know, just this past summer, um, in an attempt to continue social distancing and, you know, just kind of stay outside, um, I was able to do a couple of days of backpacking in the Snowy Range, which is down fairly close to Laramie in the Medicine Bow National Forest. Yeah, and give, give people the geography. So that's like South, that's, Wyoming's a box, everybody, if we don't know this. It's it's the South side of the box, kind of center East. Is that right? That's about right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the Snowy Range um, tops out around just shy of twelve thousand feet, I think, in the in the big ridge. Okay. And at least the section that um, my two cousins and I were in uh, was really has this very very striking eastward facing um, cliff face that goes for several miles, you know, with with at least three thousand vertical on it. Um, but then the backside was kind of this rolling, smooth meadow and just interspersed with a lot of lakes and wetlands and everything, all above like 10,000 feet for the most part. So we just spent a few days back there and set up a base camp and then kind of hiked around and did some day hikes and summited a few of the peaks there. And, um, you know, it was it was pretty, uh, pretty open, pretty free of people, which I guess is a fairly common descriptor of Wyoming. Yep. Our southern neighbor, Colorado, which is, you know also a box, um, has 10 times as many people in that box. So, uh, it's a little bit easier to get away up here. That's right. And then so, some of the deets of people looked up snowy range. How do they replicate such, such a hike or, or where do they go? Um, we came in, so essentially the range is split into by one highway, which I believe is highway 131. Okay. I'm not, I'm not looking at a map right now, but, um, but it's the Medicine Bow National Forest unit that's there is basically a big oval. Um, and then that uh, that highway cuts through it east-west, um, going from a little tiny town called Saratoga, um, and then connecting back up to I-80, the interstate, pretty close to Laramie. Um, so from that, that one highway is basically the only way to access trailheads there. And there are quite a few. So it's really... It's up to you and, and, you know, looking at the topographic map, trying to see which which variety of hikes seems more pleasant because you can certainly go, you know, one way and have a fairly mellow, benign meadow hike. Um, if you go the other direction, you can be hiking straight up, you know, some horrific Chossfield gully, you know, mm -hmm. pretty quick. Yep. I pulled up the map out of curiosity. I always like to see if my guests, you know, their memory is as apt as they think it is. The 130 goes right through it. You've got Browns Peak, Sugarloaf Mountain as is, is two of the the peaks that have popped up in mine. Um, and yeah, it's heading west out of Laramie. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at my own map here now. Um, we went in at the, oh gee, I want to say it was the Browns Peak Trailhead actually. 
Oh, yeah, that's right in the middle, right where the ridge is. Yeah, so we went in right around Brown's Peak, essentially. Yeah. Pre-show, we talked a little bit about another trip, which might might lead into the next question, which is you've you've recently joined the American Packrafting Association as the board VP, the vice pres, man. Congrats. Having never packrafted, disappointingly, like run us through like best tips, general info. I know when I do something new, I'd like to go with somebody who's done it. So going through, you know, the podcast, if if somebody out there doesn't know or have a friend who does it, like what what kind of information can you give them to get started for a beginner? You know, one of the things that and, and I should be really clear, just so your listeners, I mean, you and I know each other, but for the longest time, I would have identified myself first as a climber and mountaineer. That's what I know. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those those types of activities or ice climbing or whatever often require you to backpack in or set up base camps or do a bunch of hiking anyway. Um, not to mention the, the fitness level. So that was what I really thought about myself for almost 20 years was that I'm a climber first. Right. But over the years as I just continued to hike more as just a purely recreational thing, I realized that there was opportunity to be more creative in some of your travel. If you had basically a boat, right. And pack rafts have existed for 20 years. I mean, as a fairly lightweight, you know, fairly inexpensive, but still sort of durable boat that you can carry in your backpack with you. um, They've been around for quite some time. But as I started to look into it more, I realized that the concept has been around for like thousands of years. You know, Native Americans often, depending on which region or which group you're talking about, um, actually used to have, you know, basically wooden frames that you can carry around with you and then slap some sort of, you know, tanned hide onto as an ad hoc makeshift boat to cross a river um, or to go fishing in a lake, things like that. Um, And a lot of that information was passed on to some of the mountain men. There's a pretty funny story about Jim Bridger uh, cobbling together a boat out of some wood and some bison hide and doing the first apparent uh, rapids descent of the Bear River into Salt Lake, which sounded horrifying. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, as it, as it, you know, as I continued to look into it and continued to look at objectives that I really wanted to traverse in places like Canyonlands National Park or Escalante National Monument or, you know, scattered throughout the Southeast in particular, but Um, Parts of Colorado, where I was living at the time, seemed pretty amenable to both backpacking uh, and water travel. Sure. And then as you continue to look at it, you realize you can, if you really want to, um, you can add a climbing element, you can add a canyoneering element, you know, to varying degrees of technicality. It's really like, how creative do you want to be about a multi-sport travel? And pack rafting really opens that up. Okay. I've heard, I've. I've heard about this pack rafting. I'm assuming there's some guides online. I can go buy a pack raft. What do I need to do to get into this this hobby? First and foremost, um, would be getting some basic paddling knowledge. Sure, you know, but that's dependent on objective. Um, you know, if your entire intent is to bring up a small raft to an alpine lake um, because you want to float around in it and maybe do a little bit of fishing or something in the middle of your backpacking trip, I don't think that there's an enormous skill leap for you to have to, to make right there. Yep. Um, and I think many backpackers have been, uh, drawn to pack rafting of late because of potential activities just like that. Right. And 
for that, like, you know, go take a one day kayak class, make sure you wear a PFD, um, you know, be aware that inflatable boats ride a lot differently than a canoe or a hard side kayak. Yeah. If you've been in before. I mean, like they're much more buoyant and they tend to flow over things instead of through them. But yeah, as soon as you're getting into moving water, uh, then I would start to recommend a little bit more education. Uh, and whether that's informal, you know, just you meet a, a person that, that has done it before and wants to take you out, um, or you go to some sort of sanctioned event, um, whether that's, and here I will plug the American Backrafting Association, as soon as we can have events again, we mm-hmm. will be trying to do that. Um, but it doesn't have to be that. It could certainly be even a uh, your local river shop. You know, here in town, we have Rendezvous River Sports, and every spring they do several, like, Half day, one day, three day, just basic paddling courses that teach you a lot of the basic safety and stuff like that. You know, beyond that, this is where it starts to get into fuzzy territory of are you pack rafting, like I said, to create a new and interesting itinerary for yourself? And if that's the case, often you can get away with being a, you know, level two, class two, class three, whatever kind of paddler where you're hitting the occasional rapid and there's certainly some, you know, some hazard there, but you're not intending to go paddle whitewater. Sure. Where, right. Whereas some other pack rafters have seen the, the, the really great portability and the coolness of this new technology or new ish technology and just say, okay, I'm a paddler first. And there's this incredible stretch of water that the only way to get out there is on foot you know, or whatever. Yeah. And that's a different type of paddling than perhaps what you and I are talking. Yeah. I think that's a good way to frame it is, is first off, if you're considering this, what are you first? If you're already an expert paddler, then you're probably learning how do I get this into the backcountry so I can stitch together a different adventure that I've never done before. Or in the case of, of someone like me, I'm, I'm a backpacker first. And so if I'm going to take on this new hobby or, or approach these adventures in a way that involves um, a raft, then I need to really know my paddling knowledge. And so for me to go get experience, be with experts on, as you mentioned, class two, or if you go even higher to three or four, like have that experience so that you're comfortable in that space. I think that's, that's a good way to think through it is what, what are you first? Yeah. And what are, what are you doing? And is your team prepared to like uh, confront changing circumstance. And I'll use a, another personal anecdote on this one, but um, one of my good friends here is, was a river guide for about 15 years. One of our other good friends here in town has just been paddling recreationally for probably longer than that. You know, I'm a relatively medium paddler at best, um, despite my my fancy sounding position. I think that's more yeah. <laughs> not reflective of my ability to like, you know, shred some gnar whitewater or whatever. But, and then we took another kid that had started working for me two weeks before that had never been in a boat before in his life. And we decided to hike in about six miles uh, up the North Fork of Buffalo Creek, which is in uh, kind of a stretch of national forest that's just south of Yellowstone. So, I don't know, 40 miles north of here. Yep. And, uh, Beautiful hike in, you know, like pretty classic Wyoming summer, you know, wildflower studded meadows, the whole deal. 
what did end up becoming challenging in that instance was that everything that we had read about this this objective was that you hike in six-ish miles, and then because of how the river ends up turning, you get about 10 miles of paddling out of it. So okay. it's a good, full value kind of day. Uh, what we did not find out was that there had been a landslide at some point, perhaps the previous season. And so the entire river had changed and oh, had wow. gone uh, class two plus, which, you know, everybody felt pretty okay about, um, into mandatory portage, like four plus <laughs> unrunnable scariness followed by, you know, we have to put back into the river here because the thing canyons out and there's nowhere to hike. Right. Um, and so we got a paddle, but it was still like solid sustained class three. And, you know, three of the four of us dumped our boats, you know, coming around a quarter and had to swim and, you know, it kind of turned into a little bit of an epic, but thankfully like between the four of us and our different skill sets, we were able to figure that one out and, you know, did some people swim for perhaps longer, <laughs> preferable. <laughs> yes. But, uh, did someone who might've been me have to walk because I lost my boat for like 90 minutes by myself and, you know, Grizz country and scaling weird rock boulder problems in my wetsuit. Yes. That also happened. Yeah. But you know, other people had found my boat and everything worked out fine. That's the other piece of advice. Just have a lot of people with you. Don't, don't, don't do your first pack rafting by yourself. That is 100% true. Yep. Um, you know, my very first pack raft was, was in Colorado, did not know a lot did not have a lot of paddling experience. And so we picked a very, very easy objective that was walking three miles, carrying the boats, blow them up, paddle three miles back to the truck. And you just gave us that beginner's itinerary. I love it. You, you hike in three, paddle out three, you're back at your car. Um, quick plug. I mentioned the American Pack Rafting Association. Any, anything you want to, you want to plug, you want to let people know about, I know you mentioned events in a normal non-pandemic year. Like what, what should they know about the the pack rafting association? Well, I mean, you know, I also used to work for the American Alpine club. And so, you know, just as a context, again, as identifying as a climber or now as a paddler or what yeah. have you, but you know, the missions are relatively similar in that, you know, the American pack rafting association um, first and foremost, just really wants people to be safe. And so whatever kind of educational outreach um, through that out, like through that education committee that we have, um, that can exist is what we want to do. Um, particularly in that knowing a lot of people do come to this sport from backpacking and not from paddling, you know, water's big and scary and it's really, really great to do. So yeah, like we really just want to make sure everybody's coming to it from a safe place and we can try and facilitate that. But if things go well this year, um, in terms of pandemic situations, in, uh, I believe the third week of July, uh, we will be having a pack raft roundup, mm. uh, in Idaho, which in years past has included just kind of like group casual paddling, but also some educational things, um, the opportunity to participate in, uh, swift water rescue courses, which are a little bit more advanced, you know, uh, ropes work and, and specific rescue types of, uh, things, uh, but also just social hour, you know, yeah. I mean, part of the whole thing is just hanging out and camping and meet new folks and drink some beers, you know, that kind of thing. Love it. And so you're thinking in June and I would, I would assume get on the newsletter, you'll get the details there. Um, yeah. Where, where can they learn more? Yeah. You can join, uh, the American Packrafting Association for free, um, at this time. Um, 
as it stands, it is an all volunteer, all free organization. We basically just want to like get people signed up so they they have a resource. Um, so just go to packraft.org and you can do that. Love it. Uh, before we hop to Trails and Ales to, to, to end the convo, I, I would be remiss because I think I'm going to title this this podcast, Luke, something to the effect of like Wyoming beer pack rafting. And if people see Wyoming, they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to hear some Tetons Yellowstone. So I'd be remiss not to ask. Give me like your your quick, hey, somebody's going to to do something, whether it's hike, canoe, climb in either of those locations kind of what are you recommending when a friend comes into town wow there's a lot there if you're trying to get outside of the tetons or yellowstone which you don't necessarily want to get outside of those they're they're phenomenal yeah, part yeah right, right. <laughs> done some really incredible hiking in yellowstone things in the tetons quickly escalate to some sort of combo between hiking and climbing pretty quickly. I mean, like depending on which Canyon you're headed up, but, and they're incredible for a reason. Everyone should go. That said, um, I think that there's a stretch of land, um, just kind of like Southeast of Yellowstone. That's largely the Absorca range. Okay. The Absorcas are super rugged, not a lot of trails, um, very, very beautiful. I've only been in there a little tiny bit and scratched the surface of it, but there's certainly climbing there though. The rock quality is subpar compared to the Tetons. Um, you know, a lot of like random scrambling, but that's really not even the point. It's more that it's one of the more remote areas, uh, in the lower 48. I highly recommend it at least based on when I've been back there, I've seen a bunch of bighorn sheep and elk and moose and all kinds of stuff. And it's just very, very beautiful. And spell spell that again, because I'm I'm curious. A B S A R O K A. It's a great range, and again, I've, I've not spent near enough time back there. Uh, the one caveat is that it's pretty grizzy. Um, mm-hmm. I would not be uh, thrilled to go back there by myself. I sure. would prefer certainly a partner. Um, Bring a friend. Yeah, there's another stretch of national forest that's in between. Um, Teton and Yellowstone and sort of a little gap there. Uh, and that's really incredible. It's kind of the, the Teton wilderness space and there's yep. just a lot, you know, not a lot of access. You got to work for it. Yep. Uh, but then the thing with being over here is that we're so close to the Western edge of the state that Idaho immediately becomes part of like our immediate drive circle. Yep. And so the whole area around West Yellowstone and uh, Island Park and kind of the just the southwestern corner of Yellowstone and how that intersects with Idaho and everything else uh, is quite beautiful over there. I was lucky enough to be adjacent to um, a hunt there in this past October and, and helped kind of pack out some meat, um, which is a whole different hiking experience, you know, because you're... <laughs> yes, uh, it is. <laughs> I think often when you hike, and I'm certain more than one of your guests have mentioned this in the past, but if you're hiking a specific trail or setting out to climb a peak or what have you, I think it's really easy to just get focused on that objective and just sort of do it. And it can almost become like doing a lap, right? And you're, you're, you're hiking for fitness. Um, right. Whereas hunting, like you're just kind of wandering around and whether or not you shoot anything uh, is almost irrelevant. Like it just, provides you an opportunity to be a little bit more tuned in to uh, what's going on around you. Yep. And so 
and that's just my first blush. I'm not a hunter. This was something I was invited to and felt really lucky to be included in. But um, yeah, that was a very different way to hike. And uh, it happened to be over in that that far eastern Idaho kind of zone. And it was really beautiful. And we had a great time, aside from the constant grizzly bear. Yeah. Well, and this, this was the perfect answer from a Wyoming correspondent. I teed you up to give me like Grand Prismatic Spring, Yellowstone. That's what you got to do. That's where I send all of my friends. And you're like, no, nah, I'm going to pick the Absaroka Range and, and, you know, Eastern Idaho is my answer, which just shows me that you're, you're on the fringe of, of the, the mainstays there in Wyoming. I mean, I highly recommend going to see Grand Prismatic Spring. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is a great loop there where if you leave early enough, you can walk right past Grand Prismatic and just keep walking and then go all the way through kind of backcountry. And there's some trails. I mean, it's not backcountry, backcountry, but they're pretty thin and they're yeah. not well traveled. But uh, I was lucky enough to be able to do this loop with my father and, and brother um, a couple of years ago. And uh, we did about 13 or 14 miles that day. But um, right near the end of the hike, after seeing a bunch of, you know, Great bison, um, elk herds, geysers, tumoral, you know, fumaroles, sorry, like the various mud pots and all these different features. So full value, Yellowstone. Um, there's then a, a huge waterfall called Fairy Falls. And then once you come around that, you can hike up the Grand Prismatic Overlook and look down at the spring and see the full color and the whole deal. And then just walk back to your car. Um, nice. So as much as that is cheesy and cliche, it's also still pretty fantastic. We are at the we are at the time, Luke, for trails and ales. I don't need to prime it. I don't need to set you up. You know what this question's about. Give the listeners doesn't have to be Wyoming. Um, kind of your favorite hike brewery combination that you want to sell the listeners. Um, I, I I have to because I work here. Yes, um, I was worried. I was worried you were obligated to. <laughs> Everyone should visit Snake River Brewing Company. We are the oldest brewery in Wyoming. Uh, we turn twenty. Oh, gee, 27, I believe this year. No, 26. I'm sorry. But um, I'm presently drinking an Alpha Prime double IPA from that brewery. And there you uh, go. I'm happy about that. Uh, that said, you're going to release this around Memorial Day. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're in the summer. So, yeah, if you've, if you've got future beer to talk about, that's, that's amazing. You know, we're, we're presently doing a, a substantial remodel. So by the time that this podcast comes out, that should be done. Nice. And editors will be seeing a brand new facelifted, um, you know, shiny pub. So have to put that in. Um, yep. We'll also say that one of the more enjoyable um, hike brewery combos that I had was was a complete surprise. Uh, I was in Oregon. A uh, buddy of mine and I did a, a series of waterfall hikes uh, kind of down the gorge um, heading east from Portland. Yeah. And then, and we'd hiked not a substantial different, you know, distance, but we'd seen four or five different waterfalls up and down the gorge and, uh, was chatting with some guy in a parking lot and he was like, Oh, you got to hop over the bridge, the bridge of the gods there and go over to Stevenson, Washington and stop in his brewery called walking man. They're really, yeah. Really right. <clears throat> Been um, there. I hope they still exist. They still exist. You're, you're good there. Those were really beautiful hikes and, I wanted to give those guys a plug and hope that they still existed. So, <laughs> No, I love it because a normally guests give me something that I'm putting in my, my list of things to do. I've, I've done walking, man. They have, they have a strong cow zone game. 
their beer game is strong. I I remember getting they have their darker beer is pretty good. Um, I can't recall the name, but that I'm usually we get a calzone, we get like a kale Caesar salad kind of thing, and and some of their darker beers, and it's a great time. Nice. So yeah, that's Stevenson. Uh, the waterfalls you were you were doing all the waterfalls up the gorge, so that could be a Multnomah being the more famous one. Bridal Vale, look, all of those are great, beautiful to go to. End with end with it at Walking Man Brewery in Stevenson. That's a good combo. I can vet that myself. Though I will, I will tell one more anecdote, and then we can we can be done with sure. this. But this spring, thanks to the pandemic, and before anyone like pandemic travel shames me i will detail why this was okay but we drove down to utah to hike into the escalante and mm-hmm. paddle packraft um about 40 miles of river and then hike back out um a the only reason we were even able to do it is that that river basically only runs at floatable levels for maybe one week out of every year and so it's very very changeable on that date so unless you're very very flexible it's hard to make that trip happen so we were very lucky that we were able to basically pack up the truck and just kind of wait and just wait and stare at the gauge on the internet, you know, but that was a magical trip. I mean, the Escalante is one of the, it is the last river that was mapped in the entire lower 48. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. Pretty adjacent to the Henry mountain range, which I believe was the last named mountain range in the lower 48 as well. Um, Southern Utah's, you know, kind of crazy that way, but um, absolutely stunning. Perfect pack raft trip. Just mind-blowingly good. Thankfully, we were with a uh, search and rescue volunteer, three EMTs, and two river guides. So we felt wow. pretty okay with our, our self-rescue capabilities. <laughs> but hopefully, this will all pass in the future. But my point in bringing this up at this particular point is that uh, we had very carefully stashed several beers on uh, dry ice buried in the truck that we had left at the takeout trailhead. And that Ooh. was probably the best beer that I have ever had after you know five days out in the wood or in the desert um paddling and hiking out of those canyons it's not the most pleasant day in the world um no. that was a fantastic beer i those are two great tips then the 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 pod on just do your pack rafting with the empties first off and somebody who knows how to self-rescue and then two dry ice at the end no need to go to the brewery it's it's right there at the end so just leaving all kinds of grand diamonds in the rough here we were in Utah, and I know that you have your own relationship with Utah. Um, yes. It's not the place necessarily to find a readily available bar. No, not 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 where you were either. Uh, no, we were 45 <laughs> miles from a paved road. You, yeah, you weren't near pavement, so yes, this makes sense. <laughs> All right, well, this was a good talk. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. Thanks for reaching out. I love. I'm going to do some more research into pack rafting. I need Maybe you just invite me to the next pack rafting. That way I don't have to find someone. And then, I mean, yeah, you can, you can talk to me offline, but I do have a permit coming up that I need to call the forest service about. There we go. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, we can take that off. Yeah. We got to end this podcast. We got, we got planning to do here, but yes, check out the American pack rafting association. Shoot me that website one more time for the listeners. Just packraft.org. That's what I thought it was. And then you got snake river brewery, new facelift coming in the summer of 2021. So if you're in Jackson hole, check it out. Right on. Thanks you very much, Riley. Yep. Thanks Luke. Talk to you soon.